0: We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear.
1: It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference.
0: Ken Rideout has a story that sounds like a movie script, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this up front. There are other podcasts uh, that go a little deeper into his backstory that I I highly suggest you listen to. He's got a crazy backstory. Uh, grew up really hard conditions. Had a, had a layer of toughness from from growing up in in really tough environment. Uh, became a prison guard and saw some crazy stuff. Another layer of toughness that I think is unique for athletes worked on Wall Street, making a ton of money, much more than he ever thought he would. Uh, A competitive boxer, a passion that he still has today, hosting a podcast about boxing, and now being dubbed the best 50 and over marathoner in the world by the New York Times. He won the New York City Marathon, the 50 and over division, the Boston Marathon, and came in second in London, Chicago, and Berlin, and has won plenty of marathons just outright. And he didn't get into running until his 30s. 20 years later, now he's in his 50s and he's faster than he's ever been. He gets faster every year by running consistently 10 miles a day. Like That's his plan. 10 miles a day, every day. In this past spring, he did his very first ultra marathon, something that he didn't even want to do, but he thought he needed to challenge himself in this way. It was a run across the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, 155 miles. He's never camped before, but each night he had to sleep on the ground and do all these things every day he's never done. And the craziest thing is he won. And less than a week later, he's on a plane back to America, to Chicago, to race in the 2023 Beer Mile World Classic. And he competed in the Celebrity in a Beer Mile that was presented by Athletic Brewing. And it was a star-studded group of folks and some fast runners. Ken also won that. So we thought it'd be a great story to just hear about how he's gotten to this point. He's a character, man. And I, I, I say right away at the beginning that he, he feels like a movie character that just hasn't been discovered yet or something. He's just got that feel about him. And he's extremely humble too. I love the way he approaches just how confident of a person he is, that it's nothing special outside of discipline and being consistent, the keys to his success. So it was a really cool conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and dive in. Ken Rideout, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. You've you've had a busy year. I I don't know if it's any busier than normal, but uh, (laughs) something I wanted to to ask you right up front is, uh, you know, hey, we'd love to have Ken on the show. I started researching you and I'm like, I feel like I know your face from somewhere. (laughs) You've got like a famous face. And I don't think I've actually seen you. Like, I know I've seen you in places, but I'm like, you do. You look like a movie star. Do you do you get that a lot? You've got one of those faces that just looks like, oh, he's destined to be famous.
1: I don't know that I would say movie star, but I would definitely, when I've been in situations where, like, I mean, I've been super lucky in the past couple of years with the running stuff that people have recognized me. But if, I, I feel like if someone asks, recognizes me from running, Then I see the other people around start to be like, how do I know you? I know you from somewhere. And my wife has always joked with me about that, that like people always think that they know me. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I guess I'm have a lot to be thankful for, for sure. But um, yeah, I never thought of myself as uh, a movie star, but, um, or any kind of star, but I think that that's what maybe some of the appeal is. Like I think that I'm pretty like humble and down to earth and always super cautious. I'm coming across as narcissistic and, (laughs) arrogant like walking a fine line of like i always tell people i train like i've never won anything like i'm terrible but when i show up on race day i race like i can't lose i believe i believe wholeheartedly in myself that no one can suffer more than me and if they're gonna win they're gonna have to like go through hell to beat me but yeah it's interesting um dichotomy if you will of like training versus racing mentality but, yeah, no, thank you. Very kind. <laughs>
0: no, no, I just I, I think I had that same uh, reaction that you say other people like they feel like they know you. I'm, I don't know if it's just the face and then the accent, you know, is thick enough. Where I'm like, it's like a character straight out of a movie, man. It's funny. Um, but, yeah. Th- and then you like, OK, this guy's a serious athlete and has done some incredible things. But I want to I want to talk about that. So you mentioned you set out to win a race, but you also leave the door open because, you you know, you get beat from time to time. I know it's not often, but you know that if they beat you, they had to do everything they could to beat you.
1: Yeah, it's like that expression, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Like I, like the race that I did recently in the Gobi Desert was a perfect example. Like, I don't even know why I signed up for it. It's like I heard about it. It sounded super intimidating and nerve wracking and it was like my body was on autopilot just i found myself just signing up for this race when i didn't know what when i say i didn't know what the hell i was doing i mean that literally i've never slept in a tent i've never run with a backpack i signed up for it and then bought a bunch of backpacks and started running with them with towels and water bottles stuffed inside of them to mimic what the load would be like 20 pounds roughly yeah bought some sleeping bags decided which ones were which and and I mean, this is all in like four weeks and, um, the whole time knowing that, you know, some, uh, I was lucky enough to have partners like athletic brewing that were like in it with me and were willing to help support me to get there. And, uh, you know, it's one thing when you sign up and go do a race on your own, but when you have partners in it with you and you like people essentially investing in your success, the pressure and, the um, Anxiety is insurmountable. It's like the thought of like if this gets tough, maybe I can look for an exit, which is normal human reaction, right? Like oh, this is getting hard. Is there a way I can get out of this? If push comes to shove, when you have partners like that, you know there's no getting out of it. short of death or winning. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yes, there's always a chance to get beat, and um, that's what keeps us going. Oh, it's to, it, and to that extent, I've when I lived in the Pacific Palisades out in L.A. I won the uh, turkey trot a few years in a row, a couple years in a row. And then it got to the point where like, I don't want to keep going and like depriving someone else of the opportunity to win this race because I know I can win. And when you know you can win, it kind of like, now I feel like a bully. Mm. Like if I was winning at the Olympics, okay, I'd keep coming back or the world championships. But you know, winning the local 5K or 10K after once or twice, you kind of like, all right, I, I can win this. Like let someone else have a shot at it. So this
0: Gobi Desert, Run was you know you didn't know you didn't know there was a lot of new skills a lot of situations you hadn't been in, yeah why why that race more than because there's other races like it what what drew you to that one <laughs> did it just right time right person reached out and it was like let's just go and, and, and I and I do want to ask why why introduce yourself to all that new stuff out of nowhere you didn't like camping you're like you didn't camp you didn't do any of this no. stuff you didn't ultra run why
1: no. I, I, hated pan- I hated everything about the race, with the exception of the running, which is like a love-hate. <laughs> um, honestly, the timing, everything just lined up perfectly. I had just finished the Tokyo Marathon, and that was the last of the marathon majors that I had set out to run. So I ran. I went to London, got second, then I won in New York. Then I did, um, I won in Boston, got second in Berlin, second in Chicago, and then Tokyo was the last one. I was trying to win them all and I got, and I won Tokyo. So I won three, got second in three for over 50. And someone mentioned this race to me a few weeks after, um, maybe two weeks after Tokyo and four weeks before the Gobi. And and I just was looking for a new challenge. Not, not actively. I just knew I got to find something like I don't do well with no, with no, with nothing on the calendar, even if it was a year in advance. And, um, I just saw it. I was like, oh, I'm rolling into good fitness after Tokyo. I might as well use it for something. That race in particular, like the stars just align because a race like that doesn't require you to be sharp. And, And being sharp is like super hard to point to get to in like a fitness journey. Like I call being sharp is like, okay, I'm ready to run a marathon once or twice a year or two, three times a year where you can peak and you're like, okay, everything's cracking, like my weight is good, my, my you know, muscularity is perfect for running, whatever that is for every individual. You're just ready to like empty the tank and red line for two and a half hours. And that that, that level of fitness is like rarefied air. So, but coming out of that, I knew I had a, a great base of fitness. I wasn't necessarily sharp, but again, in Gobi, you just have to get up and consistently run steady. You ne- you're, to be honest, you're never running fast. The last day was five miles, and that was an all-out sprint. But, you know, for, for, for 30 minutes, you can hold your breath if you have to. So it, everything just kind of aligned, and I knew that there were challenging parts of it that I was, like, not necessarily looking for, but kind of needed to stay mentally focused. And, like, like I know I can win running races. I know I can run faster than a lot of people. I had no idea about the, um, the kind of, uh, adventure racing component that this presented, because again, I had to plan food. You remember, whatever you take with you, that's what you have for a week. And if you've never been four days into an ultra race, how do you know what you need? To stay six, seven, you know? So I'm thinking the last two days, worst case, I'll just be hungry. You know, but you don't realize being hungry for 48 hours and when you're burning 10,000 calories a day, because I was looking at the data on whoop, and I was like, holy, I was like over 10,000 calories a couple of the days, and I only had 2,500 calories per day with me. So if you ate a little bit more one day, you're like, damn, I'm going to be so hungry tomorrow. So, you know, that part of it, I knew would take some like intellect more so than just the ability to physically suffer. So I don't know. I was, I, I hated it. I hated it but I needed to do it, and I did it, and and it just, I mean, so many things went wrong, but I knew you can rest assured when you do anything, even a marathon, things are going to go wrong. It's just how do you adapt to them.
0: Tell me a little bit about that race in the sense, like, what do you think, what do you think you did right getting ready for it? Having just, like, you don't have this base of experience with that style of racing. I know you can run, and I know you've got that mental strength, but how do you feel like you did preparing for it?
1: um i I, to be honest the only thing that i did differently was i added in um i just started running with the pack and let me tell you something that is a 20 pound backpack is like night and day i mean even when you see guys doing like military big military rucks and they're rocking with heavy pack they're not running they're like or if they are it's really slow because i mean it was i would say you know, if you were comparing like apples to apples running with the pack versus without, I'd say conservatively, it was a minute a mile slower with that 20 pound pack. So if you're, if you're running, you know, regularly seven minute miles, like eight minute miles would be the same effort level with the pack. But so in the, the terrain, race was um, in
0: the terrain. You're just like, Oh, you were talking about the course. It's not a course. It's just like running across pastures in Mongolia and it, 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 you're it. just going up like go that way and just make it. Rocks and potholes and everything.
1: Some of it was on rutted out trails where, where cars and trucks had driven through, but none of it was on roads or like trails per se. I mean, this was in the middle, like literally across the Gobi Dead, the Gobi Desert. Like there was times where it was just like across the pasture. Like at one, you know, sometimes we'd be running. I mean, we crossed like multiple rivers a day, so you always waist deep in water. So you, everything was always wet, but it was so hot it didn't even matter. I was drenched in sweat anyway. But there were days where we went through like dried riverbeds where it was like, I, I say dry just in that water wasn't flowing through it, but it was literally ankle deep in mud. Like you could, every single person had fell down in there. It was just like, I mean, at one point I was like, is this quicksand? Like, is, am I going to get stuck in here? And, and, and when I tell you, there's, you can't see anyone around you, especially if I, if it was a day where I was leading or in second by myself, like you didn't know. The course was really well marked. There were like little pink flags every so often, but they were just big enough that you could see them when the next one was coming up, but you couldn't see them a mile in the distance because, like, if you're in a pasture, for instance, and it's banking to the right, you could see them. You can kind of like budget a little and cut over. Yeah, man, it was at times up the side of a mountain. Dude, then we, then there were doctors there, thank God, that would warn us of like different types of dangers in different areas. Because, I mean, At some points, this was so diverse. At some points, we're running through green, gorgeous pastures. At other times, we're in ankle-deep sand dunes, like we're in the Sahara Desert. And then another point, we're we're going over a mountain range that I swear, if you said we're in Switzerland, I'd be like, yeah, of course we are. This is obviously, this is Switzerland. It's green pine trees, running creeks wildlife like you can't imagine and it's funny because people even in tokyo maryland people like how'd you enjoy the scenes in tokyo i'm like i'm watching the sneakers in front of me i'm bleeding out of my eyeballs i didn't see anything i I, honestly i don't see anything in mongolia i got to look around a little bit more but not as much as i would have liked when i look at the pictures now that they that the race organizers took i'm like holy that was pretty but at the time when you're trying to win even when i had the lead i was like Anything can go wrong. You twist an ankle. My backpack at one point ripped the whole strap ripped off from the bottom. Someone else, someone who dropped out, gave me their pack. Otherwise, I would have probably been out of the race. It was. That's what I mean about things going wrong. I fell down, cut my elbow. I was a mess. Like there was always something to deal with. Like uh, dropped a water bottle at one point. Um, you know, and you only have what you have. There's not. There's nothing else to be had on the course. You're just yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Hundred percent. The only thing they provided was water in a tent. Yeah. No showers, seven days. I take two showers a day, minimum.
0: So there's a lot of people. I, I, I've I've seen people who are, you know, maybe they're triathletes. They're used to, you know, going home to a hotel or a good meal or having, you know, aid stations every few miles. And they, they're used to that level of, of service while they compete and while they train even. Why, why do you feel like you were able to kind of, push beyond that and, and, and thrive without having that? Cause I've, I've no people that would take them out. Like the, the first dropping down in the mud, knee deep or sleeping on the ground and then having to pick up your own stuff and carry it all. They'd be like, I'm not doing this. Why do you feel 100%. like you were able to basically navigate both of those worlds?
1: Um, first of all, I, I hated every element of what you just described. Like I'd much rather, I would have much rather have someone else do all that stuff. Um, but, when you're there, it's kind of like, I asked friends who were in the Navy SEALs, like, how did you get through that training with the cold and the sand? And they were like, yeah, I just looked around at the people on each side of me. And I was like, I will not quit until that guy quits. And then when that guy quits, you find another guy. And when I was there, I was like, you know what? These guys are all doing this. I mean, it was like, there were people in their 70s. There were, there were like, there were people there. Like one guy was, did the whole thing. A Japanese guy did the whole race in like wooden flip-flops, like those Japanese style wooden flip-flops. And, you know, look, those guys are just trying to finish fair, but I just looked at it like, you know, yeah, this sucks, but I'm going to do it because I know it's temporary. And I'm so lucky to have all the things that I have in my life that if you don't ever get outside of that comfort zone, you don't really, sometimes you have to remind yourself of where you came from and what you're made of, like, A week after I graduated high school, I was working as a guard in a maximum security prison. My brother and stepfather were inmates in this prison. When I look at my life, at my day-to-day life right now, and my children and the way they live, I'm like, I'm lucky. Like, I have everything I've ever dreamed of having from a materialistic standpoint. But I never forget like the grind and the struggle and the hustling that it took to get here. So it's important once in a while to remind yourself of like what you're capable of. And, you know, in, in normal day to day life, people very rarely get outside of their comfort zone. They don't even like, most people don't even like to work out, which is so foreign to me. I'm just, but I know that that's, I, I have a different mindset than a lot of people.
0: And, and you know, I d- in doing research on you, I I know that like stability was a big theme when you were growing up and trying to find stability because you didn't have it. How how do you pursue stability for your family to provide them what you didn't have and still kind of introduce all this instability in your life, like things like this race? <laughs> like how do you, you know what I mean? It seems almost counterintuitive or. An oxymoron, th- this must not be that same level of instability that you're talking about. Like, what, how do you pursue goals without disrupting that stability that you have wanted your whole life?
1: Well, I, the instability and the ability to deal with turmoil and physical challenges and discomforts, the, that ability is what's provided the level of stability that my wife and children have. Now, I would say that, you know, level of stability is like, <laughs> I, I use that phrase loosely because they're probably like, oh yeah, my dad, he's a nut, he's crazy, he's like, you know, one minute it's like all peace and love and hugs for everyone and then the next minute it's like, who that let the dog out.' Jack go get the trash, you, who left the TV on downstairs? You know, I get sometimes i I get a little bit aggressive, but my wife is the perfect counterbalance for that. But even that, I chose to marry my wife for a very specific reason. She represented exactly the type of mom and stability and and partner that I wanted in my life. We don't, like, there are a lot of things that we don't have in common. Like, my wife would never be willing to go to do this type of Gobi race. She's very athletic and she's very tough, but it's a different type of tough. She's like... Can control her emotions and like always do the right things for the children. Whereas I let my emotions get the better of me and act out aggressively. And You know, her level of toughness is, is controlling her emotions in a way that like it is almost too tough for me. Because it, instead of doing the right thing, I take the easy way out and lash out aggressively when I know that that's not right. But it's like the path of least resistance. That's what's easy and natural to me is to like act out aggressively. Whereas she's like, no, no, it might be easier to do that, but that's not the way we're going to handle it. So she's very calm, patient. So she's the perfect counterbalance for the children. Because where I'm like, did that kid just shove you down over there? All four of you get over there by him. And my wife will be like, what are you doing? These people live in our neighborhood. I'm like, you're right. You're right. All right, guys, come on. Let's just get out of here.
0: I need to go for a run. A ten mile run right <laughs> of the desert. She's got like a, uh, a a practical toughness. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like it's like yep. it's more applicable to everyday stuff. Yours is like you can do crazy stuff like this. That's that's funny, man. Well, well, tell me about this. You know, you, you, I feel like a lot of your success and a lot of your toughness comes from your upbringing. How how do you make sure you instill that in your kids, your four kids? Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I you, I know you have a boxing background. I feel like there's a saying or a phrase. May or may not be true. It's something about, like, boxers' kids aren't as tough or something about, like, it's never the same. They don't have that same level of grit.
1: Well, you have to recognize that someone who's a boxer that's good enough that you actually know their name compared to how many boxers there are in the world, it's like knowing a 100-meter Olympic sprinter if you grew up in track and field your whole life. How many sprinters have you raced with and known? Versus how many guys get to go to the Olympics and be that next special level. So when you're talking about a, pro, a fighter that's, that's good enough that you know who he is, the chances of him having a kid who's just as good is very, very slim. Same thing with like Tom Brady's kid being the next Tom Brady. Probably ain't going to happen. The Mannings might be the exception to the rule where they can't seem to do anything but produce quarterbacks. But um, with that being said, I have four children. I've introduced all of them to jujitsu, boxing in a healthy way. Cause I know if you don't like getting punched in the face, you will not like boxing. The end. You will not be able to fake your way through a combat sport if you don't like contact. You might be able to fake it for a little while, but at a certain point, you just, you got to be passionate and crazy about it to be good. And um, I introduced all four of them. Three of them quit. My youngest guy, he craves it. He's so, he's, I mean, when I watch him, I get emotional. I'm like, I cannot believe how good he's getting at jiu-jitsu. He moves like a UFC fighter. He's just turned eight like two days ago. The way he transitions into mount and then takes the back, and then he's, he's doing he's catching guys in guillotines. They never even covered these moves. They've literally had to like stop doing two of the t- – they had to tell him like, okay, we're not going to do bulldog chokes and we're not going to do can openers because he keeps doing moves that they haven't taught yet, and the kids don't know how to defend them. And but he just loves it, and that's not something that he. I think there's a big component of it is he wants to do that because he knows that I like it and he connects with me, and we go for an hour every single day. He trains every day, and um, but that would only last for a few weeks. Like you'd be like, all right, this I don't want to do this because my dad likes it. But he's just, he's just into it. I mean, he got the crap beat out of him by a 12-year-old kid. Just There was only two of them at the class. And normally when that's happening, the better kid would dial down the effort and they'd work on things he's not good at and try to get better, not just humiliate the other guy. But that didn't happen. The kid was from out of town. He was visiting. And it was so demoralizing for him. And I thought that it, it got to the point where he stopped trying. And – so I, I had a terrible dad moment. I was like, come on, Cameron. And, and and basically he started crying and I was mortified. It was just a nightmare as a parent. So that was on a Friday. And then Monday I was like, yo, you're going to train today. And he was looked at me and he was like, dad, did you see what happened to me last week? Of course I'm going to train. I have to get better. I'm going to kill that kid someday. <laughs> I was like, all right, I think we might have something here, but that's, you can't I'm telling you contact sports football uh boxing jiu-jitsu anything where there's real contact and like you can get hurt if the kids don't want it it ain't happening they have to like crave that kind of contact either that or they have to be like an academy award winning uh actor to fake their way through that because I mean I played football I didn't want to get hit so I was the quarterback <laughs> you know what I mean it's like and it sucked, but I was like good at faking my way through what contact we did have to have. But you 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 do drills with a guy who's like a linebacker and an offensive like a pulling guard. You're like, yeah, those guys are different. You, you can't you couldn't play that position unless you liked the contact because that's all they do is crash into each other. So I got one out of four, and I'm psyched, and I love it. And they box with uh, last week in New York. My youngest and oldest uh, had a boxing lesson with Teddy Atlas, so they're like. Loving it. We've got a bunch of heavy bags in the garage now hanging up that they're uh, working on. So, yeah, hopefully they stay into it. I don't care if they ever fight. I just think that that kind of training instills a crazy amount of discipline and um, not just discipline, but physical confidence. And, you know, that expression like I'd rather have a, um, a, a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener stuck in a war, meaning you'd rather have someone who's prepared for war, but is looking for peace than a guy who's stuck in a war and hoping for peace like you you know what I mean like I want them to have the confidence that it goes down that they can handle themselves but I'd rather see them putting out fires than starting them.
0: Uh, You've got a bundle of kids and I know you've gone the route of adoption for for uh some of that and I heard you say in another interview that you wanted to adopt kids early on, you and your wife, and as many as you could afford just to provide stability (laughs) to kids. Do you you think there's more in your future? Do you feel just pretty maxed out with four kids, which is a lot. Like that's a ton of kids in
1: today's world we 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 have been trying to adopt two more for a long time and it's like oh man i could do a whole episode just on adoption and all the shadiness that goes on with it but yeah we 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 tried for a while to adopt some more right after we adopted my daughter from ethiopia they shut down the ethiopian adoption program just sad because there was a big need they were like when we went to the orphanage there were a lot of kids there waiting for um waiting to be adopted and um yeah thank god we got in when we did we adopted my daughter she's the oldest of my children but we we were always going to adopt and we had some fertility issues like seven rounds of in vitro three miscarriages you know no known medical issues but as soon as we adopted my daughter while we were in Ethiopia getting custody of her my wife got pregnant and uh came home and had my first son was due on my daughter's first birthday. So all my kids' birthdays are like within five weeks in the summer. <laughs> and all the boys are two years, but it's crazy.
0: <laughs> it's it's birthday season. I call it birthday season right now. It's pretty much like, it's like six months out of the year now, I feel like, pretty much May to like August. It's just every week, somebody in our family's having a birthday. You know, that's, I can't complain about having people to celebrate. Um, Man, that's incredible. So, you know, how does, I feel like a lot of people are almost afraid to take on a big responsibility like that who also have big athletic pursuits what has what fatherhood done to the way you train because you've been running y- your big thing is consistency it's even on your like yes. bio it's like consistency over everything but I feel like the more you add more responsibility it's harder to keep that consistency going why how do you make all these worlds work together
1: Uh, to be honest with you, it hasn't been hard for me. I just like, that's, I have some non-negotiables that, you know, I, I, it's been so long. I don't even remember a time when I was like, Oh, can I do this today? Since I can remember, I would just get up and exercise. And, you know, sometimes it sucks if I have like a a 8am flight or earlier getting up to make sure I can run before I get to the flight or get to a meeting. But I don't know. It's just about discipline. Like I, I, again, it's, to me, it seems foreign when I hear someone say they don't do that. I'm like, what you don't exercise for 90 minutes a day. At least, what do you do with all that time? Are you getting a PhD? Like if you told me I couldn't run, I'm telling you, like I I pick a subject, I could have a PhD in like three or four years. Cause the amount of time that I spend exercising, if I poured that all into something else, you could be, you could master anything and, and, you know, the the the, the exercise it, it 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 being a better runner is only a small component, a lot of the bigger component here is that it's a uh, it's my mental health exercise. It's my antidepressant. It's what I need to keep my mind busy and it's a huge component to my mental health.
0: Addiction is in your past and part of your story. And I'm gonna tell people, listen to some of the more in-depth interviews you've done. Cause you've got an amazing backstory that we're not gonna have time to get into. And um, other other shows have just done it really well. So I'm gonna point folks there. Uh, but how do you prevent this from being like a negative addiction all over again? You know what I mean? Or a negative impact on your family. And I, and I understand like, there are probably times that it might feel that way, or or you just um, feel like you're missing out or something. But h- how do you make sure that this thing, this running, this consistency, there stays stays a positive, a net positive thing in your life?
1: No, that's a good question. And when I talked about this in depth on the uh, Rich Roll podcast, he he basically asked the same question. And what I said was, "Look, I fully acknowledge being like <laughs> being a being an addict." You know addictive behavior. Like I was a functioning drug addict for a good ten years. When I say functioning drug addict, I know people probably see me now and they're like, oh, "He's exaggerating a bit." Well, I took opioids twenty four seven for years at a time, with like breaks here and there, two weeks, three weeks, where I tried to get sober, couldn't do it, get back on. Never saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get high again for a few months." I'd always like. Oh, this is torture. This the the withdrawals. Let me just get high for a couple of days. And that would be, you know, two months down the road. Then I try to get sober again. So for like a good solid 10 years, going like three, six months at a time, being high 24-7. From the minute I wake up, I take the pills to wake up. I take pills at dinner and then I'd go to bed. But I was always exercising and trying to maintain some level of normalcy and working and being you know somewhat productive at least financially speaking and um just faking my way through it I'm sure a lot of people that worked with me and knew me probably thought that you know if they thought that I'm intense and uh a bit different now you can imagine what I was like high on drugs I'm a fucking raving lunatic I wouldn't hesitate to like get very aggressive and like have conflicts frequently
0: probably loud too weren't you
1: Not I was not a screamer. I was never that guy was like, you know, you don't know what happens when I get dark. I was always I was just matter of fact, like, what are you going to do about it? Come on, do what? Let's don't tell me. Do something. And most people, when they're faced with that opportunity of like either zip it or or let's do this. Most people are like, yeah, I don't want to (laughs) do that. My wife would always be like, what are you going to do when someone says let's go? I'd be like, I'm going to start throwing punches like my life depends on it because it does and she would be like it better not happen while i'm around (laughs) um but you know so now this the running that keeps my mind busy it gives me something that i feel proud of and again when i started running it wasn't like people were you know, lining up at races like, oh, thank God Ken's here. Uh, You know, I was like toiling in darkness for years before anyone, like before I won anything before anyone knew it wasn't like I had this grand plan of like, I'm going to run so much. I'm going to become such a good runner. People are going to want to talk to me on podcasts. That was the reward for doing hard work without any goal or expectation. I was just like, I'm just going to push myself and see how fit I can get. And then obviously, as I started to enter some races, I was like, holy, I bet I could win this race if I trained a little harder. And then I started to win them. And even then, for a couple of years, I was winning big races, uh, uh, Malibu half marathon, Pasadena half marathon. You know, I wasn't at, no one was interviewing me, no one was really cared. It was a combination of the part, the recognition from the podcast, and then the success at the marathon majors and really when i won the master's division at the new york city marathon when i was 50 51 and won the 40 and over that was like got a lot of attention justifiably so i don't know that anyone over 50 ever won a master's division at a major marathon
0: wow you know this is really recent too i mean has your have your goals changed now that you see you can win these races you seem to be getting better every year faster even so counterintuitive you know you're getting quicker and faster it's crazy and i'm sure you're perplexed. well i haven't too. i
1: haven't run faster in the last year so i'm like the pressure's on i'm going to try to run a marathon in the fall i've got to like run under 228 to like get a new record but it ain't easy
0: it, no no i was like, close uh... in
1: tokyo but
0: it's Ken and LeBron trying to beat Father <laughs> Time, man, and just see when is it gonna when is it gonna slow down? It does doesn't seem to make sense, but because that's I think that's super true. I, I I totally agree. Like going into something without expectations, you're often just a lot more content when things really do work out versus setting this crazy high goal, never getting there, and just being bitter and kind of bleeds in everything else. So I, I feel like you've done that the right way. But now that you're seeing success, what? What has changed, if anything, about your expectations with your races going forward, your events going forward, things like the Gobi March, uh, things like the Beer Mile? Even what? What's your outlook like now?
1: It's certainly a lot different because before I always felt like I was playing with like house money, like oh, if I win this, it will just be an awesome surprise and that'd be cool. But now, especially after the Gobi race, I feel like you know. I expect to win when I show up at everything even if it's just I don't necessarily say that out loud to people even if it's just thinking it myself I'm like okay the pressure's on like and like I said to a certain extent even with the Gobi the Gobi March just having having brand partners just knowing that people will watch it was like oh this used to be like let's go let's see what we can do here to like Oh my God. Now it's like a job, you know, you feel what it feels like for professional athletes to be out there and like playing for money. You know, you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like not only are people going to be angry at you in Boston, if you don't play well for the Celtics, but (laughs) they might not pay you next year. You know? So those, that, that kind of pressure is like a different a, a whole different component to manage at these events
0: something has obviously led to the success of this point, And there's something about that you want to hold on to, you know, keeping it fun, keeping it surprising. You're going to have to almost introduce that element of surprise into these events, maybe by, by doing things that you aren't used to doing like the Gobi March. There's a ton of new skills in there. Cause I know you've got a background in triathlon. Maybe it's swimming events. Maybe it's, I, I don't know what, what, where's your mind at with
1: that? No, definitely not swimming events. I like swimming, but the idea of swimming for fitness is, uh, it's too much. It was like, although you know what, I really do like swimming, but I like swimming in LA where you could swim outdoors every day. Like getting in an indoor pool is disgusting to me. Like I feel like I get out and I'm like just a ball of chemicals. Um,
0: Maybe it's the beer I, mile. I mean, you you tell, oh, tell yeah, us about I mean, yeah. that. Tell us about. I mean, that was your first, and you say your last beer mile, but you won that too. I mean, two very different events.
1: Next year, I'm going for the world record over fifty. It's five forty four. I'm pretty confident I can do that, so you're gonna do it again, hell, yeah, but I might have to do it like in the open field and then jump in the uh, the uh, athletic brewing one as a uh, as a bonus. You... But I really want to like see if I can break that world record.
0: so how difficult was that adding that element of of all that liquid? you you say it was easier than you thought,
1: yeah, it was definitely easier than I thought. like drinking the beers was a little bit harder than I thought, but. Around halfway through the, um, halfway through the um, each lap, it started to get easier. So, like coming down the home stretch, I always felt like I was running pretty, like I was running well versus the first hundred but we were also drinking them out of a can i think in the open field they drink them out of a bottle i think there's like some different techniques where you can get them down super fast and now that i know what's entailed and what the record is like i i really think i could do it with like just an ounce of training i was coming off Gobi desert i hadn't been running i was destroyed i was traveling like you know multiple time zones you know halfway around the world came back on a on a Monday morning, flew out there to Chicago Saturday to do the beer Mile, like, wasn't optimal training. I hadn't done, in terms of sharpness, I hadn't done any fast running in a while. So, like, I think if I had been doing track workouts and really working on speed, you know, I can easily run a mile in like 440 to 450-ish on an open one mile. So to think that, you know, uh, 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 the four beers adds about a minute. Looking at um the kid who um, won, the, who has the world record, Corey, he's like a 357 mar- uh, miler and he's running a 430 with four beers. So you figure, call it, it's taking him 33 seconds, even if it took me a minute. Like, I should be able to, using that math, I should be able to get there. Jeez, unreal. But the other thing I wanted to say is, you asked me earlier about, like, how do I feel showing up at the races, knowing that there's pressure and stuff. Like, I feel so lucky, man. I feel like that pressure is a privilege. Like, if you weren't feeling pressure, like, the pressure that I feel that people are watching, like, oh, that would suck. Instead, all these brands and people know that I'm doing this, and it's like, you can either let that, like, those nerves and anxiety kind of control the moment or you can use them to fuel the moment and that's what i do i mean yeah it's nerve-wracking and it's anxiety ridden but i also think like man how lucky am i that people care about my athletic endeavors like i'm so fortunate that i've created this situation where people are interested it's like too good to be true i was doing this for free and like <laughs> you know, for my own mental health. And now all of a sudden other people have a vested interest in seeing me be successful. I feel like I'm the closest I'll be to like being a professional athlete. Oh man,
0: that's too cool. Well, I, I tell you what, let, let's wrap up with a handful of rapid fire questions and I'll let you go. Don't have you're to not. be one word, but just a phrase or two. Um, <laughs> but, you know, given, you know, I know you have tons of free time, so I'm sure you're pursuing all sorts of other things. Uh, <laughs> what are you most curious about right now outside of, let's say outside of running
1: I'm most curious about what's going to happen in my career professionally. Like what else can I do professionally? Like I've lately, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what's next. I've worked in finance at flash banking for so many years, but I love the idea of building something. I love the um, direct to consumer CPG, like consumer packaged goods. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out what's next is that's what's got me curious is like, what do I really want to do for the next twenty years?
0: Not prison guard. That's off the table.
1: I'd rather, I'd rather be dead. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, let's not do that. All right. Proudest achievement outside of sports.
1: Mm, my family, by far. I was just thinking about like, is he getting married, adopting my daughter, having my children? I'd say just collectively, like the family and life, the life that I've built for my family and the people that they are. They're really nice kids. And I am super proud of them. Anytime we go anywhere, I'm proud that this is my family. Like they represent themselves. Well, they represent us as a team. We talk about this all the time. I'm like, Oh, when we're out, man. We're on the same team. Like you go over there and act like a jerk in a restaurant and make a fool of us. It's it embarrasses all of us. So let's represent ourselves the way we want people to see us. And they they the kids really adjust and adapt to that mentality of their like you know we see other kids misbehaving and my kids will look at me and be like dad look at these kids over here I'm like yep no discipline the dad has no discipline. (laughs) Don't get me wrong the kids have fun and they can be off the wall right but keep it in keep it in check when we're in public and certainly when we're in a restaurant like when I go and sit in a restaurant I see other kids there. I'm like no no no, no. I came here to get away from my own kids I don't need to be near someone else's because <laughs> I know they're not going to behave the way my kids behave at the better minimum
0: jeez well I'll keep that in mind if our kids are ever out to eat near you
1: I'm not a monster with the kids but definitely we emphasize like discipline especially when we're out in public it's like I'm not trying to make anyone else have a bad time because I can't have some discipline with my own kids. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now this one, I know we were talking about, you might not have an answer exactly, but what is biggest goal not yet achieved?
1: I would say it probably has to do with like profession, like in a perfect world, I would be building equity in something that I have an ownership stake in. And that's probably the next big goal is figuring out like what I want to do with the rest of my life when I grow up.
0: That's one of my big goals, too. Sweet. Um, good to know you ain't figured it out yet. Working on it, though. Uh, daily habit you stick to besides running. I know the 10 miles a day is like your thing. I've heard you mention that time and time again. Anything else that's like, I have to do this?
1: Um, Probably just like things like showering. <laughs> I'm, the two I'm showers very a day. Anal. Very, very anal. I have to shower when I'm done running, and I have to shower at least before I go to bed um it's funny even when the kids if the kids come into my room and try and sit on the bed if they have street clothes on i'm like ah, don't you dare sit on my bed with street clothes on <laughs> only if you're ready for bed can you sit in here
0: that's hilarious hey that's a sacred place man keep it that's it you're resting
1: your rest is here. that's that's it. Number one performance enhancer: sleep.
0: Sleep, baby. I love that. What, what's uh, what's what's a hobby you have that maybe you know you don't always display or folks don't know about? Anything, anything you do for fun that kind of keep to yourself?
1: <clears throat> no, because the one thing that I love to do as a hobby that doesn't require me to physically do anything is watching combat sports, boxing, UFC. Like I love that. I mean. You know, I put a clip one time on Instagram and I said, it, it, there's like a voiceover and I'm running in the pouring rain and it's like, no, I, I don't have any hobbies. This is not a hobby. This is, hobby is something you do for fun. This is not fun. <laughs> so... That's something that I've actually spoken with my wife and my kids about is that I wish I had a hobby. Like uh, maybe I could take up knitting or something or something to like spend the time. One of the things I'm trying to do now is spend much less time on social media. I feel like the amount of time I spend doom scrolling it's literally like uh, like the cliche of like the serotonin or dopamine release when I scroll through Twitter. And dude, the, the crazy thing about that is like, I'm not looking for anything in particular. I don't see something on Twitter and be like, oh, yes, thank God the guy posted a political commentary. But when I read it, I'm like, oh, what happened? Oh, my God. What is everyone else saying about this? It drives me crazy that I get roped into the banter.
0: Doom, doom scrolling, man. Doom scrolling gets you every time. It's crazy. And, and, and the fact that, you know, someone like you is even subject to it, 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 it gives hope that, you know.
1: Oh, um, the worst. Listen, I, every, I always tell people this. We're all the same. No one's special. In me, you, no one. We might have a special skill a special like thought process or 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 practice that makes us unique but i guarantee you that everyone feels the same thing like i've heard guys like david Goggins talk about you know before he started working out he was a big so spraying for cockroaches but at some point you look in the mirror and you're like nope that's it i'm done being mediocre i'm not being a loser anymore but that's an that's an ongoing process. We all have like little imperfections. And it's also, I don't think that it's realistic to try to be perfect, right? I think that there are some things that you do and you're like, okay, this is a guilty pleasure. That doesn't mean that you just dismiss it and don't acknowledge it. But I think it's it's important that you acknowledge it for what it is. Okay, I'm wasting time right now. Am I comfortable with that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So, you know, it's not about being perfect, it's just about. Making sure you're getting in the like required activities for the day, and finding a balance that like you can live with. You know what I mean? If you can live with an hour a day of doom scrolling, and it doesn't, you know, cause you concern, cool. Some people can't do that. Some people, their whole day and life is wrapped up in it. Their emotional well being has to do with the success and failures of other people, and that's just like a recipe for disaster.
0: That's a great segue, because that actually is my last question. That's kind of kind of talking about that. You're not a failure if you have these shortcomings, and if you have these moments, you get caught up in the algorithm. But what, what are you happy with? What is compromise? Like what's a healthy compromise? Because um, each can of beer we make used to say brew without compromise. And what we realized, you know, as we pursued something crazy, which was non-alcoholic beer, um, It took us doing it completely without compromise. We had to have the best ingredients, do it perfect. It had to be perfect. And that's led to this amazing product. And that's led to people in our community like you who are like pursuing progress, pursuing excellence and trying their best to not only brew without compromise but live their whole life without compromise. No one's gonna do it perfectly. Uh, And we're not always going to do our thing perfectly, but we realized it was a lot more than just brewing without compromise. It really had to be a lifestyle. What does it mean to you to live without compromise?
1: Yeah. It, 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 like I, like I mentioned earlier, just means making sure that you're taking care of your uh, non-negotiables. So for me, it's running, spending time with the kids. Like you can't, you can't compromise your principles there. Like, Kids remember every single thing that you say and do when they're little. It's easy to forget as adults that all of their all of the memories that they're establishing right now in their lives are first time memories. And when you think back to yourself, the first time you saw a roller coaster, the first time you went in a convertible car, the first time you went water skiing. You don't remember the 15th time. But everything that my children are doing right now—it's the first time that they're doing it. So what's important to me is making sure that I'm not compromising their happiness and enjoyment by being overly disciplined. And again, like I said, the you know the setting has a lot to do with how we parent them. Like if we're out on a boat and going water skiing, then you know there's a lot more leniency. But if we're you know, at a nice restaurant, getting ready to go to the uh, Predators game, for instance, then like, yeah, let's behave while we're in here, we're going to go to the game, you can act as crazy as you want. But for now, we're going to like, exercise some discipline. And I think those are all important life lessons to know that there's a time and place for everything. And those are, you know, some of the things that we don't compromise on is our principle, we don't just like wave discipline because it's inconvenient or we don't want to seem assertive in front of certain people like no the same rules apply all the time this setting this is these are the rules and there's no compromising
0: well, there you have it, folks. If you want to practice for your own in a beer mile, uh, go to athleticbrewing.com. You can find us right there on the website. If you can't get us ordered to your state or country, maybe you look for us on our store finder. Find us on store shelves near you. We're in a lot of places these days. So I encourage you to check that again if you haven't in a while, because there's a chance we're a little closer to you than we were last time. Unlike Ken, who gets farther and farther away from the competition.